You're listening to Baldassare Galupi's Sonata in C Major Number no. 5, performed by my good friend Baruch Meyer, professor of piano at Arizona State University. I'm Steve Davidson. Thank you so much for being here on The Playful Musician. Last December, I was in Arizona, and I had the real good fortune to sit down with Baruch in our alma mater, Arizona State University, at the School of Music. And it was such a delight because... I hadn't done an interview face-to-face, real live, in person, sitting across the table from someone for almost two years. So it was just a delight, and and it's such a rich experience when you can be face-to-face with someone. And it was extra special because we were grad students together. We shared an office wall, so we would hear each other practicing, and we'd have lunch and coffees and... It was just great catching up. Brooke shared a lot about growing up in Israel and how he started playing the piano, about his love of teaching and how he uses relaxation with the piano. We talk about the nuances of playing the piano and the nuances of competitions, including what led him to start his own competition in 2006. We talk about new music. We talk about memorization versus reading and some of his artistic plans up and coming. You'll also hear a few more clips of him playing Rachmaninoff. So stick around through the whole episode to hear all of that. Please enjoy my conversation with Baruch Meyer. Welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Baruch, so great to see you. Thanks for agreeing to sit down with me. Sure. Good to see you too. (laughs) So many years. I know. It's been, what, 2015, maybe six, seven years easily. Yeah. Yeah. And before that, there were 20 years we didn't see each other. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a little longer than that. Yeah. It's been a long time. How are things going here at Arizona State? Good. Keeping busy. Lots of students. Yeah. Good class. Um, All together. Um, enjoying myself, enjoying teaching. Mm-hmm. I think privilege, feeling <laughs> privileged to working with talented people. Yeah. So, how many in the studio right now? About twenty-one now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have a few more students who are not currently taking lessons, but they're working on the doctoral research. So maybe altogether about twenty-five students. Okay. Yeah. And do you teach both the graduate and the undergrad? Yeah. But currently, my class is mostly graduate students. I have about 14 doctoral students okay. and then a few master's students and a few undergraduates. Wow. Yeah. So, That's a lot. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it's fine. And, and you perform. Yeah. Playing. Playing. Piano. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have, are you, have you done much performing in the last 18 months? Not so months? much, actually. Not, a, not yeah. much at all, actually. Last time I did was actually two days ago. Played in a little concert for remembrance for a colleague of mine, pianist from Manhattan School of Music who passed away mm. um, <clears throat> earlier this summer. Really young guy, Philip Kewin, wonderful, wonderful teacher. So we did a little tribute for him here. I played, and some of his former students played, and a colleague of mine played right. too. So nice. Yeah. Things are starting to come back. They're in starting terms of to come back, but not a lot. I mean, it's been kind of very strange. 
<laughs> in the past few years, you know. Challenging. Yeah. How did were you teaching over Zoom? Yes, most of the time I was teaching on Zoom. Well, until last semester. So for about a year or a little over a year, mm -hmm. I think it was on Zoom. Um, it was okay, you know. There's so much you can do. I mean, I try to do my best to work right. even on Zoom, through Zoom with sound and and because everything you know is what we do has to do with sound. It's not mechanical. So mm. uh, to work on sound through through the Zoom still, sometimes with better results than other times. So yeah, I imagine it's hard to get to nuance. And I I was listening to. Well, I was listening to you play some Rachmaninoff before earlier today, some some recording on YouTube, and I was yeah. just thinking about how the touch of the piano, there's so much nuance in that, and related to teaching over Zoom, like I imagine it would be hard to detect right. those nuances. Well, um, <clears throat> yes and no. I mean, y yes, because the sound was not... Um, as clear or as a little distorted sometimes mm -hmm. depends really on the wi-fi wherever the student was yeah and sometimes it's better sometimes it's not so what i have them do actually was have asked them to record themselves and then i would share the recording and we would listen to the recording so i can see them and hear a better quality recording and then we could talk about sound gotcha. but when they tried then sometimes it doesn't work as well as i mean if i show them something i don't know how much of what i show them really went through the other side clearly or not you know so but the results were fine overall you know students did well and uh, had a, actually in fact i had a lot of students who uh, won competitions in the past few few years and online competitions it's something mm. that a lot of online competitions and a lot of my students did that and even recorded i mean it taught students a lot of good things because it taught them how to listen to themselves mm -hmm. and record themselves which is I think the best thing. I mean, right. you have to teach yourself eventually, right? Mm -hmm. Through listening to yourself. Yeah. So a lot of students use that. And because they had to record for the lessons, they they were regularly listening to themselves, which right. on normal times, students don't do. <laughs> they don't record they themselves. They don't usually record yeah, themselves, yeah. you know? Um, some students record the lessons, but they don't regularly record themselves playing a piece beginning to end. Mm -hmm. So I think that in a way, it was very productive. Hmm. And teach the student to be more independent. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you, as when you were a student, did you, I mean, obviously we didn't have phones or really easy right. access to record ourselves, but yeah. did I you? I did record myself did you? when I was a student. Yeah. I used to have a little tape recorder, uh, one of those. Well, Walkman you know, kind of things? Yeah, kind of Walkman thing that I would take with me to the practice room. And usually before recitals, especially, mm -hmm. I would always record my pieces and then work on, listen to it, we fix what I needed to fix, and then uh, back and forth. Right. Yeah. So I found it myself to be a tool, a very good tool. But, you know, when you teach, you don't always tell students that. <laughs> so, in a way, yeah. doing the Zoom thing and them having to record actually taught them that without me having to tell them that. Sure. So. Yeah. And I don't even, yeah, some of them, we talk about it, what we learned from that. And a lot of people mention that, mm. how much it helped them. So That's awesome. Yeah. When... Was was your family musical? Like, how did how did you get introduced to the piano? Um, yeah, my <clears throat> nobody at home pl played piano. We didn't mm -hmm. have a piano at home. And you um, grew up in? I grew you grew up, up in Tel Aviv, or um, no? Not far from Tel Aviv. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a in a kind of a, on a farm, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, I heard the the cows. <laughs> 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 Making music. No, but my, my, my parents were, uh, actually, they were sent, I'm from Israel, they mm -hmm. were sent um, to live in this farming area right after they graduated from what's called the teacher's college. Okay. So my father was sent as a math and science teacher, and my mom and my mom was an art teacher. She was an, um, a, a, a painter and doing all sorts of art things. Mm -hmm. But my mom loved piano, and she... Um, she just, she had recordings, a lot of recordings that she used to play. Okay. So as, as a little kid, I remember hearing of mine of Second Concerto and Beethoven Emperor, and it stuck in my ear, and I loved it so much. Mm. So I really wanted to play the piano, and also my grandmother, who didn't live there, but whenever I used to go visit her, the neighbor played the piano. I remember she was playing 
the neighbor's kids was playing Chopin waltzes. So I really wanted to play the piano. Mm -hmm. And I tried to push on my parents to get a piano and give me lessons. But consider where we lived, which was far from a city. And they didn't have so much money to buy a piano. Sure. So that kept being postponed. So when I was 12, my father has just, um, that was right after Yom Kippur War. And my father uh, came back with PTSD. Mm. And he was at that time, right before he was a school headmaster, and he just felt that he can't do that anymore. Yeah. So he resigned and he got some compensation. And he said, okay, you know what? You can go study guitar. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they took me to a, a, a city called Rehovot mm -hmm. uh, in Israel. And I had an interview with the director of the school. It was a conservatory. It's called Anzaghi Conservatory. It's, a, it's an Italian uh, conservatory oh. chain that we had in Israel. <clears throat> and when he was testing me in the room, or my rhythm, whatever, I think, I don't know how, what made me do that, but I said to him, you know, <clears throat> my, t my parents want me to play the guitar, but I don't want to play the guitar. So when we go out, tell them I'm only talented for the piano. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so that's what he did, actually. <laughs> so he, I guess he was, I don't know, he, uh -huh. li he liked what he heard. So he... Uh, and you how old were you? I was 12, 12. actually. Okay. I was a late starter. Okay. So he told him that I'm really talented for piano. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess when my father heard that, he said, you know what? With the little money we have, we can go, we can buy an old used piano, which they did. Mm -hmm. And he said, I have the perfect teacher for you. So she was just immigrated from Russia. A month ago, she came to Israel. Wow. But she's a great teacher. And I start, started studying with her. Wow. And really, she's the one who um, maybe um, made me um, love music as much as I, although I loved before, but really, she was a very special teacher. His name was Rachel Gordon. She was really wonderful. Mm. And and in the beginning, we didn't even understand the language, so we, it was mostly sign language. <laughs> so she spoke <laughs> Russian, language. but yeah, not Israeli. Yeah, she spoke a little Hebrew. Hebrew, I mean. A yeah. little bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but she became a second mom. Oh, wow. Yeah. What so. was it about the lessons that, that she imparted that love uh, of music to you? She was a person who was full with passion and, and really you could feel her love for music inside. Oh, you know, I she see. would sing everything and be very expressive. And uh, she had a, a life story, which is maybe, you know, somewhat... Um, Difficult, and maybe that's where her love for music was so much more because she grew up in Lithuania, mm. and she spent five years in Auschwitz as a child in the concentration camp. As a child, camp. yeah. As a, oh my gosh. So when she was about ten or eleven, she was sent to concentration camp, and she survived, wow. but she couldn't play for so many years. And when she went back, she went back to something like then somewhere they're called some teachers' college as well, where she studied how to teach. In and Russia. In in Lithuania. In Lithuania. Yeah, okay. which is part of Russia. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays it's separated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but she was an incredible person. She was full of passion and love, and she was just a very, very wonderful teacher. And she invested. Uh, she gave me much more than what she was supposed to. She was supposed to give me like. I remember I first started half an hour, twice a week, but she always, after a few months, she realized I'm very motivated. Mm -hmm. And she would give me sometimes every Friday afternoon, like two, three, four hours of lessons. Wow. Never charging <laughs> me for that. But she became like my mother, like my yeah. family, you know? Yeah. And I'm still in touch today with her children, you know? Mm. They're part of my family. So That's special. She was very special. Yeah. And what were those early lessons like um look for me i was really hungry to play mm -hmm. so every piece that she gave me i was so excited <laughs> <laughs> you know sometimes i wonder i give some high some younger kids pieces i don't see a lot of excitement yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you know but when you really want to play and then i guess it's uh, just i would listen to something and and just I would just love what I was, the sound of it, you know. Yeah. With piano, it's the sound, yeah. the expression, the feelings, you know. Right. So I guess it talked to me. So, And she was all about that. Mm. 
So I learned a lot from that, uh, from her about that. Also, she was physically a wonderful teacher. She knew how to to teach healthy, healthy um, uh, approach physically to the piano. How yeah. to make a good sound, how to use your arms, right. not just fingers. So it was from the beginning a teaching that was very concerned with sound and t and touch. Wow. So. How fortunate to get that because I imagine a lot of kids, a lot of beginners especially, don't right. learn the right physical part, right. the touch. Right. And that's what I emphasize with even some of the younger students that I have. I have a few very young students that I teach. And from the start, it's always teaching artistically and teaching with a pedagogical understanding of physiology, what to do with the body, how to produce. But everything we do on the keys is how we approach the keys. Mm -hmm. What kind of, of motion we go towards the key, which mm -hmm. will determine the sound, right. because it's all about the attack. Right. <laughs> the attack on the key makes the string vibrate in a certain way. Yeah. That changes the sound. So I remember when my teacher used to teach me like, when you, when you touch the key, you have to feel like you're digging in dough. And mm. I still use that expression, you know? So you kind of try to avoid the feeling of the key as a piece of wood, mm. but something very soft, despite the fact that the key is really a piece of wood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that piece of wood is going to hit on a, on a string, and the hammer yeah. is going to hit on a string. Yeah. So it's how you approach that determines the, right. the attack and the sound. Yeah, and that's so foreign to me because as a wind player... Like I look at the piano and it's, it seems like it's a hammer hitting a string. Like, how can you nuance that? Like, that's just so like, but, and yet you do. Yeah. And it's all through that touch. Yeah. This is why, yeah, pianists are really distinguished from one another by their sound and touch. Yeah. It vary. It's different for every person. Yeah. And, um. I remember when I went to, um, later on, when I went to study in college and she, my first teacher took me uh, as to my next teacher, which was Israel's first lady of the piano. Her name was Penina Salzman, mm -hmm. on, on whom I wrote my, my, my research document for my, for my, my DMA. But um, so Penina was an incredible pianist and a student of Alfred Coteau, a very famous uh, pianist and pedagogue. And the only child who he ever taught. And the distinguished thing with the Courtois school is his sound and poetry. They talk about a lot about um, making sound that speaks. Mm. And I, you know, I always I remember she used to say, she had a very scratchy voice. She used to say, you have a very beautiful sound. And I used to say, oh, it's from you. And she said, no, you had it before. <laughs> <laughs> she was very nice. Here's Baruch playing the second movement of Rachmaninoff's Sonata No. 2 for piano. Did you go to many concerts? Of, like, As a hear kid, a lot of pianists when yeah. I was young. No, because I was living far away from yeah. from a place. But I, 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 most of the time, what I did was just listening to the recordings, recordings. I had at home. And who um, were the pianists that you listened to at home? Do you remember the Rubinstein, Richter, um, Ashkenazi? Then when I grew up, I, of course, I bought my own a lot, a lot of recordings. So I, I remember when I was. Uh, an undergraduate and I was in Tel Aviv then then I used to go into back then they had you know 
Records, Tech, uh, yeah, Tower Records, <laughs> stores, and record Tower stores. Records, and Record Store, and the classical uh, stores. Nowadays, you can't find this stuff anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I would just used to go and browse most of the time, buying what's on sale, you know. <laughs> but you could find really great things. Sure. So, then I remember when I came to America, I used to be um, there was something called I think IMG or something. What was it? You ordered CDs. Oh online? yeah, BMG. BMG. Yeah, yes. remember that? I remember you buy those twenty clubs. for like. Something so that's right. how I got all my CD right. collection. And they would just keep sending you right. CD. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you remember those days? Do you remember? I <laughs> was, was just great. talking with somebody about that the other day. Like, remember those subscriptions mm-hmm. for for CDs? But now you have YouTube, so easy you can right. access anything. Spotify, YouTube, everything. amazing. Like, yeah, almost too much. Yeah, that's <laughs> too true. <laughs> so you know, it's funny because I I had a I had a studio class today and. Um, um, somebody was playing Bach and I was talking about Bach and recordings and, and I said, you know, like 15 years ago, I used to send my students to the library to listen to recording, right. find a recording. Yeah. And there was a recording there of some pianist <coughs> that played pretty awful Bach. <laughs> And whenever they used to come, but I didn't know they're listening to that. I just oh, remember I that every time after they went to them to listen, it will sound even worse than before they went. Oh, no. <laughs> because with Bach, you know, they're old school kind of playing of only articulation, no right. sound, no colors. So, you know, nowadays, no. You go, on, you go on online and you can find and you can immediately, everything is very accessible and very quickly. Right. So, which is great. That is great. That is great. So... When, when you went to Tel Aviv, how old were you when you moved there? Uh, when I moved to Tel Aviv, I was eighteen. Well, okay. Let me see. No, so my story was a little different. So I started uh, studying at the academy when I was eighteen, but then I had to join the army for three years. I was going to ask you about that. That's a requirement yeah, in Israel, it right? It is. Yeah. <laughs> so I was in the army for three years. And, and no, remember, no piano during uh, that time, or I, I could practice a little bit on the weekends sometimes. And I remember my teacher saying, well, just do Hanon. <laughs> just, just do Hanon? Dry, dry exercises. <laughs> but actually, I used the time to sight read a lot, which was great. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I used to just uh, go through Chopin waltzes and mazurkas and just read through a lot of stuff because I didn't really have time to, or lessons. So yeah. I was just doing a lot of sight reading, which was helped me a lot because mm-hmm. um, it, it developed that in that, ways. That, that skill. Yeah, and I didn't have it every time, but uh, on the weekends, most of the time. So, yeah, but for three years, I didn't have lessons, and then then I went to the university after that. Mm-hmm. So, I was really, when I moved to Tel Aviv, officially was 21. I see. Yeah, 21. So. And was that a big a shift in teaching in the way you were taught, going from your first teacher to uh, yes. the university? So, it was interesting because I ended up studying with another teacher at the university, not the one that, not Nina Salzman, because when I came back after the army, um, it was the middle of the sem- middle of the first year. So, like, let's say, like, second semester here. Mm-hmm. We have two semesters. Right. So, it was January. It was beginning of second semester. And she said... Um, her class was full, and she said to me, okay, so just study one semester with um, somebody else, and you come back to me the next year. Um, so I started studying with a man who was uh, actually in many ways shaped a lot of who I am today about in regards to understanding physiology of, of the body mm. and how to use relaxation mm. uh, on the piano. Um, so... His name was Walter Ofhäuser. He was a German Jew who um, um, believed in, 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 I don't know if you ever heard of the term Feldenkrais. Yeah, I know. It's, so I've he was actually a student of Moshe Feldenkrais, okay. who is the founder of the Feldenkrais technique, technique. which Moshe Feldenkrais was in Israel. And, and basically this whole method... Uh, my teacher, he didn't even tell me that. I figured out later, you know, he has this whole thing about how to use our body mm. in a very um, comfortable and easy and effortless way. Mm. So there was a lot of awareness to that in my lessons, more than other things that other teachers did, which was sound and poetry. It was more about relaxation, freedom, mm. um, how to sight read better by not, um, by just keeping a more mental awareness. Mm. So... In that way, he helped me a lot about mm, being more productive. 
in my playing, learning fast. Right. Uh, when you say mental awareness, what yeah. does like in terms of like how you're looking at the page or when you're sight reading? I'm just when curious. You yeah, you know, because <clears throat> the 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 worst thing for sight reading on the piano is when we look at their hands. <laughs> and okay. especially if you move your head down because you disconnect from the page. Sure. So to be a good sight reader is really to keep your eyes on the score and to have a very good feeling of the keys. Mm. When you're not aware of that, I mean, of course, when I say now it sounds, yeah, of course. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, it sounds you know, obvious. But when but you're <laughs> young and you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> then you don't connect things. And yeah. I remember he used to tell me just analogies, you know, every time he said, you know, every time when you look, when you look at the page and then you put your head down, it's like an electric shock you get. It's like your brain, <laughs> the, the message between, oh, and, and your fingers, because the brain sends a message to the finger. And every time you cut this connection between the page, the eyes and the, and the fingers, then you, you disconnect that connection. Sure. So he was always adamant on being, being very relaxed, sitting back and feeling the keys and not, almost not looking at the keys at all. And if yeah. only by glimpsing when needed, you know. So it was very important because I have to say before that, I was not a good sight reader. Mm. And he helped me tremendously. I mean, you can't even compare. Wow. So, you know, it's interesting because I had different teachers who came from different perspective, perspectives and yeah. I learned different things from them. And yet... When I think today who I am, I'm a very different teacher myself. Than they Although were. I took a lot of things from them, but yeah. I developed my own things. You right. Know? When so. did you start teaching piano? When I was 16, actually. Wow. Only after four years. <laughs> I had students already. So, uh, yeah, I always and, had. And you enjoyed it right when you were 16? Yeah. It's interesting because I always kind of used to say that I want to be a great teacher. <laughs> I don't know why, but I did. Yeah. So, yeah, I love teaching. Yeah, that's awesome. And did you get into a lot? Did you do a lot of competitions when you were at university? Um, Was that a big thing? Part I wouldn't of your say a lot. I did a few. At, at the, we didn't have that many opportunities when I was a student. Uh, in Israel, now there are a lot of opportunities because I often go to Israel to judge competitions. Mm -hmm. So a lot of competitions open up. Back then, maybe there was one or two a year. So there was American, something called American American Israel Cultural Foundation, which, which was more <clears> like a scholarship audition yeah. that will help you with college, which I auditioned for at the end of the year usually, or some internal competitions in the conservatory. And then at the end of my uh, my undergraduate, I started doing international competitions. So I went to Europe a few times to compete. And what but was that the, was expensive, you know, and yeah. back then we're talking not today, you know, yeah. when airfares are like, okay, you can get a deal, right? Right. <laughs> there was not, not such a thing. Yeah. So it was a big deal, you know, to yeah. go to a competition. Was that your first time to Europe? Mm, no, my second time. Okay. Yeah. So my first time was when I was 18, my, my parents kind of gave me a present of doing a, a organized tour with other sure. high school graduates. Oh, okay. It was fun. So, was it intimidating going to compete in Europe? No, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> I made friends. I met people from all over the world. It was my first time of really meeting people from different cultures. Mm. I remember meeting people from Japan, from Canada, from the United States, from England, from Germany. It was great. Oh. So, I enjoyed the the togetherness of it. It wasn't just, oh, I'm on a competition. Right. So, my experience from competition were very friendly. Oh, that's but it really great. depends about people. Some people are different, you know. Yeah. So, do your your own students compete a lot? Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, look, it's it varies. I think um, I encourage students to do competitions. I think it's important. Um, Why do you think it's important? Because to uh, nowadays to make a career, somebody has to be very well rounded and also create opportunities for themselves. So when you go to a competition. You expose yourself. You expose yourself to audience. You expose yourself to other professionals. You expose yourself to media. It's an exposure. W mm. If you win or not, it doesn't always matter because the exposure is already made. Right. If you have the right social skills, you can make connections and contacts. And it doesn't have to be connections with jury. It could be connections with other competitors, sure. which one day will be professionals. Right. Most of my friends 
who are professionals I met in competitions, sometimes not as a competitor, but as an organizer of a competition, mm-hmm. such as Rubinstein competition in Israel, which I was assistant uh, 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 for the director, two competitions, and I met a lot of pianists who came to compete. Yeah. And they be- we became friends. So right. nowadays the professors in different schools, even in America. Right. So, you know, you create opportunities. And also, uh, this is a tough word for world for pianists, right? So <laughs> right, it's very so competitive. Many, There's right? so, so many. Yeah. if you're really serious about something, you have to do everything that it takes to, to be successful. And competitions, like it or not, are part of the game. Right. So. What do you do? How do you help your students prepare mentally to compete? So... <clears throat> Prepared, well, because it can you can get psyched out, right? You can get really nervous, or well, right. But that has to do already. So first of all, I would say depends what competition. Yeah, you don't send every student to every competition. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you have to um, see who, who's in front of you mm-hmm. and what they're ready for. So not everybody is ready for everything. Yeah, yeah, but. Um, but if you feel that they're ready, then you should encourage them to do that. Yeah. Some of them are ready and are hesitant, mm. which is normal. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're human beings and right, it's scary. Apprehensive, yeah. It's scary. Yeah. So I use a lot of encouragement and a lot of uh, just mental support and saying, you know, you're very good. You should not be just playing for the practice room balls <laughs> all the <laughs> <Right>. time. <laughs> you know, you should be out there. And, yeah. and we do performances in class every week. So I see who is mentally ready you know who mm-hmm. doesn't get overly nervous and you know nerves are part of the game yeah yeah and and uh, as long as they don't uh, distract then you're fine mm-hmm. and as long as they're help right so let the nerves work their way uh, that's nothing wrong with that so <clears throat> mm-hmm. I have students, I mean, uh, who, especially with the pandemic, a lot of them started recording and yeah. they made professional recordings and they sent it to competitions and were very successful. Oh, that's awesome. So, like I have a student who, there was an article at ACU, um, won three first prizes in online competition <laughs> the past year. One after the other. Wow. First prizes. Yeah. That's awesome. Another student of mine um, won the... Um, MTNA national second prize national competition. You know, we made a recording, and I encouraged the student to do it. I felt that he's ready and he's strong, and yeah. you know, I didn't know how far he's going to go. Sure, but he did. And plus, there was no travel expenses right. associated. So right. I was like, "What do you have to lose? Just the application Just, fee, right? Right. Submit the recording. Right. Application. Submit the recording, and then once you have a good recording, you can use it for a few things. Yeah, very smart. So, yeah, and you run your own competition right yeah. but it hasn't gone on for it's not starting again until 2023 yeah, is that right 2023 the, yes the USASU no, 20, yeah 2023 you're right yeah we were supposed to go on this year but it didn't work out uh, there were too many conflicts so when did it start 2006 January 2006 was the first one at first we had it um, first it's called the Bersendorfer and Yamaha USASU USASU right. <laughs> International Competition. Right. Um, Dofer and Yamaha are piano manufacturers connected together because they're actually Dofer is the oldest piano company existing today, but it's owned by Yamaha. Mm. Um, it's a Viennese company. Yamaha is Japan. Sure. Um, so we founded it. It started in 2006, and it gained a lot of uh, recognition. At first, we did every year, and then we switched from 2009 every two years. Okay. But then because of the pandemic, so now it's going to be four years from the Since last the one. Last yeah, because the last one was 2019, right, right before the pandemic. Well, right before, when did the pandemic start? It was March, March of 2020. Yeah, so it was the year before. Yeah, yeah. And there'll be, people will start submitting stuff next year yeah. for that? November. Yeah. yeah, and I wanted to do, I didn't want the competition to be online. I wanted it to be in, in person. person. So there were some scheduling issues that didn't work out with the orchestra. Because we do have the Phoenix Symphony involved. Right. And yeah, so. Yeah. But it's a it's, it's very uh, good competition. It draws wonderful pianists from all over. We get hundreds of applications every competition. Usually around 300 and something mm. applicants. 
uh, in three age categories. So there's a young element, the Yamaha is young pianist, 13 to 15 and 16 to 18, and the Bersendorfer is 19 to 32. Good prizes, you know, we have over $50,000 cash prizes and performances with the symphony and some other performances for wow. the winners. So, And are you a juror as well? Yeah, I'm a juror as well. Um, Do you find that challenging to judge competitions? No, I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to music, I don't find it work. Right. For me, it's enjoyable. Right. I sit and I listen and uh, I enjoy the music and yeah. I enjoy seeing talented people. So I find it very enjoyable. And I also enjoy the interaction with the audience and hearing what they think about things. The audience get very excited mm -hmm. and very in, in, the, in it, you know? Sure. So it's, it's a, a very... Um, enriching experience i think for everybody involved so. do they play the same pieces or they they play different pieces the contestants or the entrants um, not the same i mean they're not required to play any um, there's no piece that they have to do but there are some requirements like uh, um, one chopin or listitude in the first round and the second round they have to play a classical work but other than that, everything is free choice. Right. So most of the repertoire is free choice. There's no one piece that they have to play. Sure. But do does it happen where two people play the same piece? Oh yeah, many times. And how yeah. do you how do you <laughs> I'm just thinking like how that must be hard. I would imagine that would be harder to judge two people playing the exact same piece. No, that's no? easy. <laughs> <laughs> because they play differently. There's never the same. <laughs> it's little like the key is nuance you sure know? yeah so there's little nuances that somebody might do differently there, there's a, maybe somebody will bring out different elements of uh, the, the colors or different elements of their own personality through mm -hmm. this music so it will never sound exactly the same somebody will show a more f imaginative approach to right. the music somebody will show a more a less flexible approach uh, somebody will show more physical dexterity and somebody might oh that was a little weak or not as yeah. strong as the sure. other person so often especially with etudes there's usually the etudes that are more popular like Chopin opus number one on opus number eight um, and you'll hear very different they're never the same right they're never the same of course it falls down I mean the level is very high and often it falls down to personal taste you know yeah but that's 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 music anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's Rook playing the third movement of Rachmaninoff's piano sonata number two. When you're teaching a student, and if have you ever had the experience where they come in and and they're starting to play at a tempo or at a at their their interpretation is something that that maybe you don't it's not your taste, yeah. but they convince you yeah. by the end, or there's something where you're like, you know, yeah, there's something to that. Well, sometimes. <laughs> I actually had one today. We we're talking about Bach in the studio class. And I said, I would not play the articulation the way you choose to play. But if that's how you like to do it, that's fine. You know, I can, I, it's fine. I can, I can relate to that. Sure. Um, I had a student who played the Debussy Prelude the other day. I said, you know, it's beautiful, except I love everything about it, but not your choice of tempo. <laughs> 
you know. Yeah. And no, he didn't convince me because I thought it was way too slow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I am flexible and yeah, open yeah. enough to some things, sure. you know. Uh, I do think that um, I try to help them to be more objectively aware of what they're doing. Sure. Because I think the hard thing for a musician is to hear themselves. Yeah. In an objective way. Yeah. So I'm like their ear from the side. Right. It's not that I'm trying to change. If they're good and ready, you know, I'm I'm just trying to to make sure that they realize what they're doing. You right. Know, and yeah. understand what maybe they're doing that can be a little better, you know. Yeah. Because I know from my own experience, I had teachers who were, you know, they wanted me to play the concerto the way they yeah. play the concerto. Yeah. No, I don't do that. I always say to I my students... A, a, a cop, no matter how good a copy is, it's never the original. Right. <laughs> so there's no point to that. I'd like to see my students with their own personalities. Yeah. I don't need to make, a, a, how do you call it? A clone, clones, clones of me. Of you. <laughs> because they won't be me and right. they don't need to be me. <laughs> right? right? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. No. I'm just trying to give them some of the culture, cultural things that I got exposed to, uh, which mm-hmm. is tradition in music, you yeah. know? And and some of the important things that I believed musicians should have, but not to force them to sound like me. Right, that's you know? awesome. So that's what I tried. I remember I, I used to have clashes with teachers who tried to do that. To me. <laughs> I remember play one like me, be like yeah, me. Yeah, well, they wouldn't say it, but the, the teaching was all about uh, a copy. Right, and. Um, they didn't always talk to me, you know, because I didn't. Uh, if you copy somebody, it has to because you want to. Sure. Not because somebody tells you to. Right. And you want to because you admire them so much that you think, it, oh, it's incredible. I'd like to be able to do that. <laughs> right. You know? So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my mind was going somewhere. Yeah, it's okay. And then <laughs> uh, it went another way. Is there, do your students play much, um, you know, piano is so steeped in tradition. We have like Liszt and Chopin and yeah. Bach and Mozart and right. Beethoven, but do your stu- is there a, much new music being written? Yes, and there's a lot of new music being written. And I try to really encourage my students to, um, to always include something very contemporary in mm-hmm. the playing and unusual. Uh, because I think it's important nowadays. Yeah. And also there's great stuff being written. So we can't just be with the past. We have to also be with the future. Right. So, for example, I sent a student recently uh, to a competition. And I said, you know, your program is too conventional. <laughs> uh, you need to put something there that is uh, crossing boundaries. So I suggested this piece, which is very difficult. Um by Elliot Carter. That's mm-hmm. not that new, but it's yeah. pretty new. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe 20 years old. Sure. But it's very difficult. And she had a month and a half, and I said, you can do it. <laughs> I think she practiced like five, six hours a day on that piece. Wow. But she did it. So, you know, and, and we had to make a recording, and, and it worked. Yeah. It was for MTNA competition. She won the state. Now let's see what happens in regional. Wow. So, you know, sometimes you push and you know, you. but uh, yeah, important to give, uh, I think repertoire is very important for competitions as well, what you put. So yeah. I try to always balance with something new and something different. Some of my students have a good, um, uh, it's interesting. I find that a lot of people nowadays, young men, young students are good composers. And oh, even really? if, yeah, and and they they tend to sit and improvise or write, and I encourage that. So those who um, do that, I always encourage them to play one of their pieces in the recitals. Um, wow! Yeah, I have a student who actually uh, played in our area recital a composition by his classmate. You know, just mm-hmm. written this year, very yeah. good piece. I thought it was good. I said, go play in front of people. You yeah. Know? So yeah. That's one thing I loved about my time here at ASU was that there was a there was a lot of new music. I mean, mm-hmm. it it had. I imagine it still has a new oh, music yeah. ensemble now, even more. <laughs> there's a lot of. We just had concerts this week. Prisms, uh, two concerts last week. There's a lot of new music happening here. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, and very encouraged in all studios, in all all disciplines, in all all areas. Yeah, which is very important. It is important. Yeah. So, 
And also on the competition, we're going to include next uh, next competition something. Um, like a commission? Yeah, not commission, but to include uh, some contemporary work. Maybe by a, maybe by, by a, a female composer or by a BIPOC composer, mm-hmm. something new. And right. Yeah. I think it's important. Yeah. We live in changing times. <laughs> we t- <laughs> that is for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think about that in terms of your own, like, recitals or programming, trying to include mm. new music or... Yes, but not always successfully. <laughs> I'll be honest. It's challenging. Um, yeah, well, you know, when you get older, and as a pianist, you tend to um, play what you're more comfortable with. Yeah. And what you're more... I mean, we don't always have time to practice as much as I used to, mm-hmm. you know. So I have to draw a lot from my old repertoire. Right. And learning a contemporary piece takes a lot of time. A lot time. of time. <laughs> I'll be honest. Okay? Yeah. Now, unless you play with the score... Oh yeah. Okay, then that's possible, but I usually don't. So it it requires memorization. Yeah. And so, is that the expectation that for pianists that memorization is that just kind of the standard? Yes, but now they kind of remove it for very contemporary pieces. So yeah, pianist needs to a solo pianist needs to play by memory. So. You know, everything has to be memorized, right. pretty much. <laughs> Unless, the, you know, what you play is so avant-garde that it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, for example, for students in juries, we do, if the piece is very new, then, yeah, we can take it off the requirement, the memorization. Right. But, but it's all of li- Liszt's fault. Not <laughs> Liszt. <laughs> Why is it his Because fault? before, they didn't memorize. Before Liszt. Liszt. Yeah. Liszt... <laughs> List was the first one to really memorize a program. Really? I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, and that's why. <laughs> so before, Beethoven would write a piece and play the next day, not necessarily by, by memory. Right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Wow. So when you're playing with, just imagining, like if you're with orchestra, that you would have to memorize like the whole yeah. score, essentially. Right. of course. <laughs> yeah. You do. <laughs> That's knowing a piece well. Right. That seems daunting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it's uh, it might look from the side, but if, you d- if you're if you used to doing it, then it's fine. And pianists are used to doing it from when they're very little. Mm-hmm. Do you think that comes from, like, the... Um, what's the, the Japanese technique? The Suzuki? Suzuki method? think it stems from that or just the fact that from an early age they're encouraged to no from an early age way before Suzuki uh, from when we're little kids uh, so every piece we learn or perform we know it's by memory right it's normal I do it with my students (laughs) too (laughs) so once you do it all the time then it's not such a big deal right yeah other instrumentalists don't always memorize right no it's just I was just talking with a clarinetist few weeks ago, Wonkat Kim, he's a professor at University of Oregon. Yeah. And he was saying that, well, he's played the Mozart um, clarinet concerto many, many times, so he's got it memorized. But he was saying how with some pieces, he will have the music there, but he won't really look at it. Like it's mm-hmm. more <laughs> there just in case. Yeah. Even contemporary pieces, like not just contemporary pieces, but... You know, he he will memorize it. I think a lot. I think there's a big advantage to memorizing, and I think a lot more um, instrumentalists, solo instrumentalists, are memorizing because it's a different experience mm-hmm. with the music than if you're staring at the page. Although the orchestra doesn't memorize it, so no, they don't, right? Yeah, it's interesting. But when you have a Violin concerto, it's memorized. It's memorized, yeah. Oh, cello concerto, most of the time. Most of the time. Not always, that's yeah. true. Pianists have a hard time. <laughs> and they have to use Plus, many you fingers. have to use many fingers, <laughs> yeah. I, that whole right. limb dexterity, <laughs> or okay. limb independence thing. Yes. And then if you're an organist, you throw in the, f- the feet. Yeah, that's true. That. 
Yeah, the student who asked me this week, should I take organ lesson or harpsichord? I said, um, I don't know. What do you? Why, why not organ? Try organ. But my feet, they don't move very well. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, maybe if you try. Right. Did you ever play organ? Yeah, when I was a kid, a little bit. We had at home, I had an electric organ, so I used to play on it. I, I also used to teach. It used to be a very popular mm-hmm. instrument in the, I don't know, when I was a kid. But it was electric. So a lot of homes had the, the organ and... Yeah. Yeah. It was like a keyboard synth kind of... Oh, right. Yeah. But with pedals. With pedals. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I, I didn't really play it well. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so what's coming up in... 20 to 2022 for you? Do you have um, any performances or? Uh, I'm trying to schedule things, yeah. Working on some things in Israel. Maybe I, I was supposed to be, be in China and performing there, but I don't even know what will happen still. Yeah. So <clears throat> maybe a few things in the United States, in the US. Mm-hmm. Um, festival still in the air. We're supposed to go back. I'm not sure it's going to happen. Usually I play in summer festivals. So it's a little, again, it still is not very clear. Right, and now we have a new variant yeah, out there. Yeah, exactly. So, so <laughs> people tell you, well, I don't know what's going to happen, you know. So it's hard. Right. It's not easy times. When was the last time you were in Israel? Mm, the summer. The su- this summer. This summer? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, after a year, right? A year and mm-hmm. a... How long pandemic? Yeah. After a year. After I got vaccinated, and but sure. it's still a big hassle, you know, travel and <laughs> all the PCR tests and yeah. all the stuff. Yeah. So, but I was there for almost a month. That must have been nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was nice. Awesome. Yeah. Where can people learn more about you or the program here at ASU? About me? Uh, through the ASU. And <laughs> through the ASU website? <laughs> Music, uh, dance, and theater, ASU.edu. Um, yeah. Or pianocompetition.asu.edu is our, about our international piano competition. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so pretty much through the ASU web pages and awesome. the competition web page. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Baruch. Hey, thank it's you. It's great sitting down to talk <laughs> with you and see you and uh, appreciate hearing your stories. Thank you. And all this. It's been great. Thank you, Stephen. Okay. Hey, this is Steve again. Thanks so much for being a part of the Playful Musician. We're coming up on year two. I mean, on year three. (laughs) Is it year two or year three? Well, we've been going for two years, so um, starting in April. So I appreciate you being on the journey with me. It was such a delight to talk to Baruch. He's so much fun, and I really miss him. miss interacting with all my colleagues from the Arizona State days, and hopefully we'll get more with my colleagues on the show check out the website theplayfulmusician.com you can hear all past episodes you can see show notes and uh, see images it's kind of a great resource and leave a review go to Apple Podcasts uh, on Spotify tell me what you thought about the episode leave a comment let me know who you'd like to hear on the show we've got some great great guests coming up in the next few weeks All right, everybody, take good care, and we'll see you back here again soon.